This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. And welcome back to some sort of the Cooler Jets podcast. We host Ben Blessington and Michael Nania. Michael, we're back with another Offensive Coordinator Candidate podcast. We've had four so far. We've covered Daryl Bevel, Greg Olson. We covered two of the Eagles uh, coaches in Kevin Petulo and Brian Johnson. And then, Michael, yesterday you did the solo pod uh, covering Nick Cayley. Apologies. I'm in the middle of a move and didn't have my mic cord. So thank you, Michael, for doing that pod solo. Today we're going to be taking a look at Joe Brady. Uh, and, you know, Joe Brady, he, he's an interesting guy in the sense that Two years ago, he seemed like a rising star in the NFL, that he was going to be a future head coach. In fact, he was getting interviewed for head coaching spot. Michael, did he get interviewed for the Jets head coaching spot? When He did. He did, yeah. yeah. I mean, two years ago, we did the same exact thing, but looking at him as a head coach candidate. So here we are now. Yeah, he got his start in the NFL in 2017 under Sean Payton as an offensive assistant for the Saints. And then he moved on to LSU in 2019. It was the passing game coordinator and wide receivers coach. Um, for that amazing national championship team. And then he became the offense coordinator for the Panthers. Uh, and then he got fired in the middle of the year of his second season under Matt Rule. And now he's the quarterback's coach for the Buffalo Bills. I, I did notice something that was very interesting, Michael. If they do end up interviewing Joe Brady, they'll have interviewed one coach from every team in their division, which I think is really smart, you know, to get that scouting and that intel and learning about the offensive schemes um, from your division. But today, Michael, we're going to be focusing on, on Brady's tenure in Carolina. Uh, and that brings us to Aaron Duncan at Dunk on Demand on Twitter. The Dunk is with a C. Uh, you can follow him on you uh, on YouTube at UB Sports Talk. Uh, Aaron, are you are we ready to talk some Joe Brady? I, I'm here, man. I'm ready. Thanks for having <laughs> me. All right. So what did, let's just start generally. What did his offense look like? I mean, his, his pass run balance, how aggressive he was, the pace at which you know, uh, he was calling the games, which positions are prioritized, just the o general overview before we kind of dive into the the nitty gritty. Yeah. So you mentioned him being part of the Sean Payton tree per se, but he, he took some concepts from, uh, from Sean Payton's offense, but you can also see the college background, the LSU background from the year that he spent, um, obviously with Joe Burrow and their, uh, legendary <laughs> offense per se, but you see the, you see the, uh, the production. I mean, he's able to get, guys the ball um in space i mean the panthers they have four guys with uh, over a thousand yards all purpose and one of those guys was a backup running back in mike davis who um filled in for christian mccaffrey as uh his uh, his injury struggles are well documented but i mean brady spreads the ball around he gets a lot of guys involved <clears throat> as far as running it's pretty balanced i mean he leans a little bit more towards the pass this kind of depends on who's the quarterback but 
Um, we had Teddy Bridgewater at the time, so he wasn't really afraid to sling it um, with Teddy Bridgewater. And um, the only, I guess, gripes per se was the red zone. There were some struggles in the red zone because, like I said, we had those four guys with a thousand yards, but the red zone percentage just wasn't up to par with you would expect with the amount of guys that we had um, with that amount of uh, putting up those kind of numbers. So um, Brady, he he's an interesting, intriguing. A uh, guy, I didn't. I, I kind of felt like he was scapegoated a little bit per se, but we can get into that a little bit more later. Um, but um, I, I'm I'm not mad at his offense. I mean, it was his first year um, as an offensive coordinator, actually calling plays. I think um, people kind of forget that he didn't really call plays at LSU. They kind of did a collaborative approach. Um, he was the passing game coordinator, but um, for, first year calling plays is a little bit it's a little bit different per se, especially in the big leagues with the NFL. But um, I, I, I like some of his concepts. I think the lack of experience was the, probably the biggest thing that did him in because you, you asked about just some of the procedural stuff. We had a lot, we were up against the play clock a lot. And I don't know, this is a difference from uh, being up in the box and having to get those calls down and then getting that signaled in. But constantly we were up against the play clock. Constantly we were burning timeouts, um, trying to get in and out of the huddle. Um, and, it just, and that's just something you would expect probably from somebody who doesn't have that experience of, getting things buzzed down, getting it to your quarterback coach or whoever is signaling in place and then getting it into the guy or getting into his head or whatever, any kind of adjustments at the line of scrimmage. Because he gave a lot of free reign to Teddy Bridgewater at the line of scrimmage, and that's some of the stuff that kind of took a little bit more time as well. So um, I just think there was some there was some promise, but I just from any, things that come with experience, he was lacking, uh, which is what he was. He was 30 years old when, uh, when he was offensive coordinator there. So um, kind of a mixed bag. Yeah, I mean, and now what you see what Teddy Bridgewater hasn't really been able to do in Miami under under a great offense and Mike McDaniel. I mean, I think that season under Joe Brady is really impressive, but it's interesting you talk about some of those procedural things that we don't really think about as fans uh, in terms of why he may have gone from uh, somebody who's getting head coaching interviews in the offseason to fired in December. I mean, there are things inside of a building that fans aren't privy to and Mm-hmm. Do you think that is the reason, or do you think he was just kind of a, a scapegoat? I mean, what happened? How did he go from head coaching interviews in January to out of a job in December? Yeah, like you said, they, he interviewed with the Jets. Um, he interviewed with the Falcons uh, within our division. Um, and it's, it's, I think, obviously, we know the trend of the um, any coordinator that's called plays, the work plays under somebody that's less than 40 years old that has a quarter zip, they're going to get an interview just because <laughs> – that's just the way the league is trending now. So he was an intriguing prospect at the time. But, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a crazy fall from grace to be a potential head coach to fall in there. Um, the Matt Rule experience was not, um, not the most ideal circumstances to be under, especially from a guy who uh, doesn't have that much experience, like I said, as a, as a play caller in general. Um, I personally don't think Joe Brady was a Matt Rule hire. I think he was a sexy pick at the time because uh, David Tepper, he was trying to put his fingerprints on the program and he saw where the trends of where the league was going. So he wanted to get the next hot shot guy. So he went down to the college ranks and got a quarterback. I mean, I got a coordinator that was 30 years old. Um, and that's a big jump to go from college to NFL. So I think there were some growing pains that there wasn't really an offensive infrastructure of coaching to really help him develop in that way. And Teddy Bridgewater actually went on record in the offseason and said that, hey, the way that Matt Rule kind of operates, Joe Brady's not really going to be able to develop um, the way he should as an offensive coordinator. Well, Teddy Bridgewater put this on. He, this is the year after he left. He went on, I think, Patrick Peterson and Darius Butler's podcast and kind of said it. 
And it kind of took a lot of people back because he just talked about how the way Matt Rule did things was not really the way that he's seen. And Teddy Bridgewater is coming from work, being with Sean Payton. Um, he was with the Jets with you guys. I mean, he's been he's been around. He's in Minnesota. Um, so he's seen what coaches do, like the experienced coaches do and how they operate. But it was just a little bit weird being under Matt Rule, I think, for Joe Brady. Um, and I talk about the red zone struggles, but then Teddy Bridgewater comes out and says they only practice red zone on walkthrough <laughs> practices. I don't understand how 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 you're supposed to improve or how you're you're, you're kind of handcuffed as an offensive coordinator. And he, like I said, he's not a big. I mean, he's still he's still inexperienced. So him pounding the table or saying whatever, I'm not sure what those conversations were. But I still think that there was less than ideal circumstances. And the way he got fired was just pretty much messy. Like we had about it was. I mean, everybody remembers Cam Newton coming back. Um, the, the 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 Cardinals game. We ended up having a bye week after. Um, well, a couple weeks after, and then he had Joe Brady cramming, spending all night as with Cam Newton, trying to get him up to speed to be our quarterback. Meanwhile, all the other coaches are on vacation. They're taking their time off away. And then after the bye week's over, Joe Brady gets fired before the next game. So it's just you, you have a guy pulling all-nighters leading up to a certain game, and then you fire him before he even gets a chance to reap the benefits of that work. So it was just it's wow. just a toxic situation with Matt Rule. And I'm not saying that Brady's just a huge victim, but I think as a guy that needed experience and needed developing – Matt Rule was not the guy because he didn't have experience himself. He was learning on the fly as well. So it just didn't seem like ideal circumstances for a guy that is inexperienced to be able to develop as a, a play caller. Yeah, and it's interesting to hear Matt Rule's role in that because at this point, you know, some of the candidates that we've discussed um, for the Jets so far, they all kind of have that in common to where some of them have been under head coaches who weren't the greatest. I mean, Daryl Bevel was under um, – Urban Meyer yeah, in Jacksonville. And, uh, and Matt Patricia. Great yeah. <laughs> um, worst coaches. Josh McDaniels. So um, sometimes that can happen. And it's not to, you know, pin them as scapegoats and say that they're free of blame. But sometimes, you know, the head coach you're under, especially, as you said, for a very, very young coordinator and Joe Brady, it's uh, not the most ideal situation. But uh, I want to talk more about the scheme and some of the things that Brady was trying to accomplish on the field. I am hoping Jets fans are still listening to this because you mentioned red zone struggles multiple times. <laughs> and that's probably the first criticism Jets fans would have for Mike LaFleur. So hopefully yeah. they are still into Joe Brady at this point. But um, let's talk about the passing game. Um, looking at what he was trying to accomplish through the air, um, what were some of his priorities in the passing attack, some of his go-to concepts? What did that passing attack look like with him? I mean, the offense is in the NFL. A lot, of, all of them are trending towards the same way. Everybody runs the deep crossers, the shallow cross concepts, stuff like that. The man beaters, of course. I think that, unfortunately for him, he had a whole bag of tricks laid out for Christian McCaffrey. If you look at some of the play calling early on in the season when we actually had McCaffrey, just some of the play design to get him involved was just brilliant. Like some of the like he he used him in all kind of concepts. You split him out at times. I wanted him to kind of split out McCaffrey a little bit more, but he was still able to capitalize on a lot of the attention of underneath coverage that uh McCaffrey gets and was able to help DJ Moore actually have a little bit more of a single coverage deep and stuff like that. And we see what happens now without that uh that weapon underneath and DJ Moore gets a lot more attention. So it, it it's tough. But I think Brady pretty much had a big bag of tricks with uh Christian and so once that um, kind of was out of the fold, it took him a little time to adjust. But like I said, even Mike Davis ended up with a thousand all-purpose yards. And um, with the speed that we had with DJ Moore, Curtis Samuel, uh, Robbie Anderson at the time, I thought he did a good job of being able to stretch the field as much as possible. 
especially with a uh, a guy like Teddy Bridgewater, who's not known for his deep ball. But um, obviously, the, the 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 like I said, the shallow cross, the deep crossers, um, the 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 it's it, it was it was a good variety of concepts, but it just. I don't know. Once the field, I mean, the red zone is where it matters. I think everybody in NFL now, defensive wise, they're going to let you move the ball between the twenties and the red zones where it counts. Um, I just didn't think some of his concepts in the red zone were uh, as as I don't know. As produ- I mean, obviously they weren't as productive as they should have been, but I think with the lack of talent we had as far as size wise or talent at the tight end position, um, it was going to be tough um, for a lot of his concepts to work just because. He um the spacing was there at times, but it's just I don't know. Those windows are smaller, man, and it, it with the, with the personnel you have, I don't know. And like I said, that may be something that comes with experience because it's all about making those adjustments. When they adjust, you have to adjust, and you have to have an answer. And you see certain offensive coordinators like a Kyle Shanahan or maybe a Ben Johnson, or whatever nowadays that they almost have an they have an answer to all the questions on the test. Um, and that comes with experience at times and just kind of knowing your personnel and being able to maximize it. So, um, I mean, long story short, I guess it, 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 he he was able to take advantage of the speed we had, per se, but sometimes it takes a little bit more in the red zone, like I said, when things are a little bit tighter. Yeah, and looking at the run game, would how would you des- would, would you describe that uh, rushing attack in terms of, you know, zone and gap balance between those sorts of things? What kind of um, assignments did they give to the offensive line? How did the, uh, did the run game look overall? So heavy zone, definitely heavy zone. Um, and like I said, that's just I probably from just his college background, nothing fancy. Um, and our personnel up front was a lot different than it is now. We're more of a, a gap scheme. We do a little bit more of a gap scheme um, with McAdoo, but neither one of the guys had a lot of diversity to their run games. Um, we saw kind of down the stretch once he kind of realized, okay, hey, Christian's not coming back. You start adding in a little bit more gap stuff, but he's heavy, 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 heavy on the zone. But I think that was more of a – just the way we were built up front. We didn't really have too many big bruisers up front like we do now. Now we, we bring in Ike McQuanu, who's a, a mauler, and then obviously Bradley Bozeman is one of the bigger centers in the league. So you're going to beat up on teams and stuff like that now compared to last year. I just don't think Brady – I mean, outside of – like I said, outside of his own concepts, he, it wasn't really a ton of diversity in that standpoint. I think one of the things that Michael Floor has been criticized on – I mean, Michael touched on the red zone – uh, but the Jets' offense could not start a game fast at all. I mean, a yeah. lot of how many scoreless first quarters did we witness uh, this season, Michael? Um, it took them a while to get going, and then even some games they didn't even get going at all. Um, so, how yeah. would you describe Joe Brady in terms of his opening play scripts? Uh, I just I feel like that's so crucial um, for an offensive coordinator to have those 10, 15 plays that you plan the week of practice, and then you kind of get to see how it goes and unfolds in the game. And you, you kind of mentioned uh, some coaches are better at making adjustments than others. This is actually an area that I would say Adam Gase, persona non grata in New York, was actually pretty good at in 2019. Yeah. They had, would they have seven weeks in a row where they had an opening drive touchdown, Michael? And then yeah, they they, they go up like seven nothing, and then that was the only touchdown they'd score the entire game. He couldn't yeah. make the adjustments. So how do you feel Joe Brady's opening script like? Um, I think it was pretty solid because he's a he's – a, He's one of those junkies, like man. He's he's always spending time in the building. Like he, that was one of the things they kind of were happy with him about. Even though he was young and inexperienced, he was there to learn. He wasn't just stuck in his ways. He wanted to try to make adjustments. But his opening scripts were pretty solid, in my opinion. He had his struggles at times, but I think the red zone was just the biggest concept that we we struggled with, and we ended up getting field goals. And then, and we had the worst third down defense in NFL history. Well, 
they kind of came back off that ledge those final three weeks of the year. But we were on pace to be the worst third down defense. And so just the way game flow ended up going, um, the adjustments that he needed to make wasn't always there to take advantage of that. But um, I, I think Joe's scripts were pretty solid in my opinion. I um, I didn't have a ton of complaints. Like I said, it's just the red zone where execution, execution is crucial. Uh, we just fell short. And like I said, I don't know if that goes back to the whole practicing on walkthroughs or not putting the heavy emphasis on it because when you're coming from college, even and even he plays a part on this as well. When you're coming from college, you don't spend a, I don't think you spend a ton of time on situational football like this. Like situational football is everything in the NFL, you know, um, because like I said, trading th- seven for three back and forth, that makes a difference. And so I don't know if that's something that really hampered him or Matt Rule's environment did to separate him, but um, putting up points early could be a struggle at times. But like I said, it's, it was mainly just having to do with the red zone. Um, but I, I I didn't have any ton, ton of complaints just based on what he drew up coming out of there. What about the flip side of that, the, the end of games? Because one of the things I remember about 2020 is the Panthers had like a number of really close losses. And I, obviously a lot of that might be attributed to the defense. But offensively, how did you feel like he closed games in those clutch situations? It, it was a mixed bag. Um, you go to the Vikings game where we blow that lead. Um, and that's some of that has to do with the defense as well. Um, but just missed clock management, getting the play in late, which is which rushed everything else. Then we don't the execution kind of fails there, and then not managing the clock, even though we had a lead, not mixing in the run well enough. But then you go to the Chiefs game where we really almost came back on the final drive. Um, we, we kind of went toe to toe with them as far as offensively. Um, and then the clock management was perfect there. And it's just a lot of that stuff, like I said, it has to do with experience and knowing who your quarterback is and knowing your personnel and being able to be in his ear like, hey, let's go this, that, and the third here. Let's think here on concept of this is a four-down territory. Let's go ahead and be aggressive here or let's go ahead and get half of it here on third down or move the sticks with this. So some of it, and like I said, you have to, it depends on who your quarterback is as well. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater played some pretty solid football. I mean, he played for what – he played to the level of what he is. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater – you guys know who he is. I mean, he's he, yeah. he is what he is. I mean, for them to expect more out of him um, than he really was was, I mean, a little short-sighted in my opinion. But I think once that pressure gets on, it, it could be a little bit tough for Brady at times to try to manage the clock and get the right concepts and the right calls. But um, like I said, we had a lot of close losses, and some of them, um, the offense would move the ball. It would just we would fall short outside, right at the red zone, right outside the red zone. Um, the Saints game we had that we ended up missing a sixty something yarder because we couldn't push it in the, the right ter- uh push it in a field goal range soon enough and we took a sack on third down. Minnesota we struggled, but the final drive, um, we were backed up in the goal line. We moved the ball pretty good down there to get into a decent range. So it, at times it's there, at times it's not. It's just um, like I said, a lot of it has to do with having that quarterback that's gonna willing that's willing to push that ball downfield. We had the weapons to do it with the speed, but being able to consistently push that ball downfield, I think kind of hampered a lot of what Brady wanted to do, especially in a hurry-up scenario where you want to be able to get those chunk plays. So we talked about opening games, closing games. I think one more important aspect of clutch football is third downs. And it's another thing that I think Jets fans had a problem with, with Michael Floor. Uh, specifically, I think one thing Jets fans were not – fond of was you know third and shorts I think we very often would see empty formations you know obvious passing kind of looks and it often didn't work out it wasn't the best idea for a team that had quarterback issues 
had pass protection issues. So how would you describe Brady's kind of third down approach? Would you see similar things to, you know, what I just described? And like you said, he's a pass heavy guy. So would you see some of that um, maybe passing a lot on third and short overall, how would you describe his third downs? Um, I just looked at the numbers while you were talking to get the exact percentage, and we were pretty bad. I mean, we were bad on both sides on third down, but we were 29th in the league at uh, 35% now. Sounds like a jet. I would have to look up the down and distance, the average down and distance um, to kind of see. But he – I will say this. The memory that probably sticks out in Panthers fans' heads is that we played the Raiders. Was that week one or week two? But it was like third and short, fourth and short, and like – Okay, obviously you got Christian McCaffrey, one of the best running backs in the NFL. No, he's not a bruiser, but, I mean, you hand it off to the fullback and he gets stalemated on fourth and short. It's like you want to live and die with your best players at times. So he wasn't those guys that, like, tried to, like, overthink things or think outside the box. I'm like, oh, they're they're nowhere going to run. Let's just go ahead and toss sweep or let's go ahead and do it in the round. But um, I think he he, he had some creative plays in those third downs scenarios but execution wasn't always there offensive line definitely wasn't great um and it it did leave some to be desired obviously the numbers speak for itself but like i said it's a, a lot of it probably just has to do with experience as well i mean i hate to keep harping on the same thing but i just think when you see a lot more defenses or a lot more you're in a lot more of these scenarios or gotta have it scenarios um the execution is going to be better or the play call may be better. And like I said, our offense, we had the numbers. I don't know how we put up those numbers with as bad as our offensive line was, but um, it's, we never, we've never been a power. We were never a power running team. So those third and shorts really were tough downs for us just because you can zone all day you want, but sometimes you got to line up and get dirty and roll your sleeves up and push the guy that's in front of you out of the way and get some yards. So, um, it, it did leave something to be desired. I will say that just to be completely honest. Uh, you mentioned Teddy Bridgewater and how it seemed like they got the most out of him in that 2020 season. I mean, as it stands, it's probably maybe his best season in the league so far. But um, overall, how would you describe kind of the relationship between Brady and the talent on the roster? Did he get the most out of it? Do you think the talent held him back a little bit? Um, overall, I guess, how would you say – um, the production the Panthers got overall offensively kind of compared to what you would expect based on the talent they had. Yeah. Um, I think he, I think he kind of went above and beyond as far as yardage. The points is where it kind of sandbag because coming into that year, remember a lot of people didn't, I mean, a lot of people didn't see Robbie Anderson as more than just a deep threat. I mean, you guys know Robbie very well. Yeah. I mean, this, this guy gets a thousand yards and gets a, a double digit million dollar contract. Mike Davis. Nobody. I mean, I'm a, I'm a South Carolina fan, so I know Mike Davis and knew what he was capable of. But he ends up getting a thousand all-purpose himself in a backup role, not even being the full-time starter. So being able to maximize guys like that, even Curtis Samuel. I mean, Curtis Samuel went over a thousand yards. I don't know if he how close he's been since then, but he used the versatility and the speed that we had to be able to take advantage. And even when Christian went down, you see Christian, uh, you see Curtis Samuel lining up in the gun or in the dot in the eye at times and running outside zone just because he knows that Curtis had that background from Ohio state and being a former running back and stuff like that. So I, I thought he actually did a great job of trying to take advantage of what we had in that 2020 year. 2021 was a little bit different just because of um, Sam and Christian being hurt again, of course. And obviously we lost Curtis and stuff like that, but to be able to get a thousand yards out of Robbie and, uh, and Mike Davis. And like I said, to have, 
those guys four total have over a thousand. I think that's only been done once or twice, something like that, something crazy like that. Um, I, I don't think you can argue with the yardage production. Like I said, it just goes back to putting up the points, putting up six instead of three. Yeah, I think you, you could definitely argue the QB play may have held him back because you go from yeah. Joe Burrow at LSU and then you go yeah. Teddy Bridgewater and Sam Darnold. Yeah. Uh, what do you think? I mean, obviously, maybe the answer is Joe Burrow, but what would the ideal quarterback look like for a Joe Brady offense? I mean, is there really an ideal fit or do you think he's more the guy to just take, let's say the Jets go and trade for a Derek Carr or hell, maybe they trade for Mar Jackson or, you know, different types of quarterbacks. Is he the type of OC to try to mold uh, his scheme around a quarterback or do you think he kind of has an ideal type of quarterback like what would be those traits yeah I think he's pretty good about adjusting to the personnel and I honestly think the Teddy scenario was more of uh, his call just because of their background in New Orleans um, I think they were kind of open to that especially him being the bridge the Sam Darnold thing I don't know whose call that was per se <laughs> but I think the you don't you don't need like I mean a Derek Carr could actually I would think he would actually thrive but he, I have mixed feelings about Derek Carr right now. I think he'll be fine with you guys because I think that's you don't need much more than what Derek Carr can bring to you guys to be able to maximize what you have right now, especially with that defense um, and the young weapons you have. But uh, just a guy that's not afraid to push the ball down the field. Like I said, there's a lot of deep crossers, so you want to have the decision-making there. You want to have a guy that can put that zip in the intermediate range um, and take advantage of what you're trying to do in the red. So I think Teddy Bridgewater's lack of arm strength is really what made the difference in the red zone because um, a lot of stuff that Joe does happens quick. Uh, you know, he's good at, like I said, he's good at adjusting because he did a good job of getting the ball in these guys' hands and just letting the yards at the catch do what they do because that's the type of players we had. They're all 5'11 to 6 feet, 200-something pounds, and they all run 4'4s. I mean, they can, they can line up in the backfield as well. So he did a good job of uh, diversifying what everybody else could do and getting production out of them. Um Obviously, a better quarterback would be good, but if he got the most out of Teddy Bridgewater, um, even though his arm strength is not his calling card, I think with a, a guy that has a little bit stronger arm that can deliver, sit in the pocket and deliver, he'll be fine. But now you need it. I would probably have a little bit of some mobility there, but he doesn't really put the quarterback on the run and stuff like that. And but um, you get a guy back there that can deal a little bit, he'll be fine. Hey, he did have Sam Darnold uh, leading the league in rushing touchdowns the first few weeks of the season. So I mean, was it maybe yeah. that was just an outlier? But um, it, it was definitely an outlier. <laughs> but I mean, Sam, he has legs. That's the thing. He just is so hesitant to use, and that's another thing that we tried. Like Steve Wilkes even tried to stress to Sam that this year it was like, "Hey, you have legs, use them." And yeah. um, for good or bad, I mean, he got hurt last year against Atlanta running the ball, so I think that made him a little bit shy. But um, I mean, he's not. I mean, he he comes from LSU. I mean, they're gonna they 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 they're gonna use the quarterback's legs if possible. And Joe, we know how mobile he was in LSU, so I I don't think that's something he would run from. But um, I think he did a good job of taking what we had in Teddy and what we had in Sam early on, um, for, for especially being the guys that they are and making, uh, I guess, not chicken salad out of chicken shit. <laughs> what well, kind of? Um, yeah, honestly, yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean. With a better quarterback, I have, I don't have any doubts that he could be a solid OC. What about some of the other positions? Because you talked about how he, he would be able to maybe mold the offense a little bit around his quarterback. But the speed on the Carolina Panthers' offense was evident. I mean, maybe some of the talent deficiencies and depth or whatever can be questioned or O-line, but they definitely had speed. What do you think is required to, to run a Joe Brady offense from the skill position groups or the offensive line? Like, What traits would he be looking for the Jets to add in the offseason if he did become the OC? I would definitely make sure the protection is there. 
Um, because they, although, like I said, stuff happens quick with his offense, I think, like I said, that could have been a, just a facet of what we had personally. I mean, our offensive line wasn't great, um, and that was the one thing I probably will say. He didn't always put them in the best opportunities to thrive, didn't really always give the guys that needed help help, but there were a lot of guys that needed help, unfortunately. So you can't really plug every hole. You can add a tight end, you can chip and stuff like that, but there's only certain things you can do. All that being said, um, I think with that, like I said, with the speed that we had, he's able to stretch the field. And you just need, you just give some guys uh, some time because some of these deeper concepts that he did run, they take a little bit of time to develop, but you're getting a, a guy as fast as Curtis Samuel under, I mean, over on a, 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 a deep cross behind the Mike Backer going from sideline to sideline, it's going to take a little bit of time to develop. So you need, you're going to need protection. And uh, I, I thought I thought that was one of the biggest things that really hurt us last year. I'm glad we ended up addressing the offensive line because that was huge, um, eventually per se. But um, I think I think it's going to take time, unless unless you just have a quarterback that's going to be the Joe Burrow that's going to run around and buy time when you need to, or it doesn't have to be a not a, not a statue, but just somebody that can actually get out of the pocket and make plays outside of the pocket. Um, just because we had we had that there, I like the core that you guys have. Um, I feel like you guys are one of the best, one of the closest things to being the quarterback away. I Definitely. mean, it's, I think I don't have to tell you guys. I mean, y'all, <laughs> y'all, we're, we're y'all are in the trenches. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm just outside looking in. But <laughs> I don't think, and I, and I don't know how you guys feel about Lafleur. I'm just my perception. I, I, I guess it seems like his his market may be decent. So I don't know if it was fully just all his fault or more so the quarterback's fault. But I think if you can get a guy in there. And get a, get a quarterback that you like, like I said, with some poise, that can sit in the pocket and deliver. You'll be fine. Um, yeah. And I'm not a, I'm not gonna bang the table for Joe Brady, but I, I just don't think the the rep that he got from what happened in Carolina, I think it was a little misguided. I think he was in over his head, but he didn't hire himself. I mean, we yeah. all, if you have a dream of being an NFL coach, I don't know why you would pass it up. You know, yeah. especially when they're bringing in a quarterback that you know. Well, and look what um, happened to that LSU coaching staff after he left, too. Exactly. It, <laughs> it, it really, it really had no choice. Yeah, I mean that he got out at the right time to be honest, even though it didn't work out so far in the long stream. But I think him being a quarterback coach now, honestly, I would like him to have another year before being an OC. I I feel the same way about Ken Dorsey before becoming a head coach as well. But I think him going back into the ranks of being a quarterback coach um, was a better. It was better for him just to be able to be have that experience there because I thought he may go back to college and be an OC, but I don't know making that jump back up would have been ideal for him. And I think he always had NFL ambitions. Um, so I, I think I think honestly another year would be good for him to be another quarter a quarterback coach and then then take that next step to OC again. But I always thought experience and the coach as in Matt Rule was always going to hamper what he could do in Carolina. Yeah, and I mean, to go back to what you said about LaFleur, and there are a lot of similarities here in terms of experience and all that, because, you know, the Jets had a rookie head coach, they had a rookie quarterback, and they also brought in a rookie OC as well, and we saw some of the negatives of that. But at the same time, like you said, I think, um, you know, from our perception, I think it's kind of mixed because it's hard to justify three straight games with no touchdowns at the end of the season. But, but, I mean, both of us watch a lot of film, and when you watch it, it – there are definitely a lot of open receivers that were just missed by poor quarterback play. So there is 
an element of scapegoating, I think, especially considering the Rams' interest. But I, I can see the similarities between the two. But um, wrapping up on Joe Brady, just a couple more here. Um, I, I want to know about him off the field. Whatever you could tell us about that. Are there any stories you could tell us, how the players relate with him? Um, do you know anything about his reputation off the field and kind of how he coaches? I know you said he's you know very, very much a guy who grinds, is very committed and all that. So what can you tell us about uh, what you know about him off the field? Uh, I mean, not a ton because he keeps a lot of things close to vest. Yeah. Um, and if you follow him on Twitter, literally the only thing he tweets out one is know. one and yeah. <laughs> Literally the only thing he tweets out is one and know when they win <laughs> or whoever. But that's just the kind of the guy he is. Um, like I said, he's a 30. He's probably what, 30? I think he's 33 now. now. 33, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, he, he's, I mean, he seems like a pretty chill guy. Um, I know Panthers fans always like to talk about him because he always came to the game in the freshest Panthers gear that never, wasn't even on Fanatics or NFL shop. And uh, they always talked about the fade he has because he's, he's young. I mean, so he's, he's a little bit different from the other type of coaches. But um, there's not really a ton about him off the field. Like I said, I, I talked about what, what Teddy was really complimentary of him, and Teddy really kind of took up for him. Teddy was like, he thinks Joe Brady has potential, but with the scenario that he was in, he didn't think he could get to the potential, to the level that he was capable of. Um, and I think that says a lot. Obviously, him and Teddy have that background, but I don't I don't remember hearing any complaints about from players per se about the offensive coordinator or anything in that. Um, like I said, he put in that extra time. <laughs> he was a lame duck uh, OC, and he put in all that extra time with Cam Newton um, just to just to get fired. And so he took that in stride. But um, I would love to actually hear him open up about how he felt about the experience. But he's not the type of guy that will ever probably go on record to say anything of that. Even if he ever goes on record about anything, he'll never throw anybody under the bus. He always takes responsibility for stuff like that. And that's what you want. You want that accountability. You want a guy that's going to stand there and take whatever shots are coming. Because being a coordinator is tough. Um, And the fans, if they like the head coach, they're going to point to the coordinators. I mean, the coordinators, the quarterback, and the offensive line are kind of the biggest for the for the common fan of what they're going to blame. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so it, it, he, I mean, he, like I said, he took the criticism as it came, and he never really, like I said, he never ran from it for for sure. Um, but he doesn't really put a ton out there just to get to get to feel his personality. But he's super chill, super laid back. Um, just looking at his interviews every week, yeah, he, he's he seems like a pretty down to earth guy. Um, and I, like I said, I haven't heard anything negative from players about him. La- last question. If the Jets hire him, and let's say a Jets fan listens to this podcast and for whatever reason just skips right to the end. Uh, <laughs> overall strengths, weaknesses, how do you feel about Joe Brady? I mean, what are Jets fans getting if he does indeed become the OC of the New York Jets? You're getting the guy that's going to find a way to get his playmakers the ball. Um in between the twenties, like I said, <laughs> there's going to be there's going to be question marks about the red zone. Now, I don't know what how much he's learning now because I think the Bills struggles are red zone as well. Josh Allen has, a, has what five red zone interceptions yeah. this year, um, but I think experience is the biggest thing for him. And learning on the job is cool and all. Sometimes and baptism by fire is cool sometimes too. But I think that jump really is what hurt him as far as his development. Now, as far as what you're getting overall, I think you're going to get a guy that's going to put in the work. He's not going to run from the opportunity. I mean, he surely didn't, as being a 30-year-old offensive coordinator for the Panthers, he didn't run from that. And he's always going to, like I said, he's going to take accountability. He's going to try, like I said, get those playmakers involved. And he he needs some fine-tuning just procedure-wise, like I said, and all that, which is 
it comes with it. But I think from a standpoint of just kind of taking what's given to you as far as the quarterback or the offensive line or whatever's there and trying to maximize what's there, he's good for it. And you guys have weapons. Um, I'm not sure how your offensive line is, but uh, I know the quarterback is is kind of the 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 the, the main target. I would say probably for this offseason, but. Yeah. I think with the with the with the skeleton person, without for lack of better words, that you guys have right now, like the core, I think he would be a good fit. Honestly, you have the you have uh, a multitude of weapons on the outside, a couple weapons on the outside, young running back that's dynamic, um, a couple running backs. Honestly, um, I, I think it could be a good fit. You know, um, now how complimentary that would be with Robert Sala style, I'm not sure because I'm not really deep in the trenches on Robert uh, Sala's defense, but. Um, there's a, that's also a role that I think people kind of forget about too, that these coaches have philosophies that they want to implement. Now they're not in here drawing up X's and O's with the offensive coach, but they know that they have to compensate. Let's say your defense can't stop a nosebleed. You know, you may have to do a lot more ball control or, you know, your quarterback may be a little bit shorthanded. So you have to do certain things. And um, I think Joe is a good, could do a good job of taking what's there and being able to adjust with it. Now, adjusting on the fly, um, we'll see how much he's learned from the year or two, whatever, not being in OC. Um, but that, that'll be the biggest thing. What 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 has he learned since he got fired to now? Because um, experience was always, I think, the biggest uh, the biggest hurdle for him. Yeah, he's so intriguing. But the the fact that experience is the biggest concern, and that is really, I think, what Jets fans' biggest gripe, or even Robert Sala, looking back on the decisions he made. Um, to, to help support Zach Wilson. I think that's the number one thing. They've, the mistake that they realized they made was they didn't really give Zach an experienced coaching staff, and they had a lot mm-hmm. of rookies on that staff. And so then turn around and give it to another guy who's relatively inexperienced, but now I guess he has had some coordinator experience. I mean, I would love to, to see Joe Brady as like the passing game coordinator, but I don't know if he would leave Buffalo for that. So it's all it's, – it's intriguing, though. I mean, he's certainly a, a name that you know NFL fans should be watching. Uh, and years to come, uh, briefly, it seems like yeah. Jets Panthers are competing head to head for Derek Carr. Are you are you team Derek Carr? I'm not team Derek Carr. <laughs> yes, there I'm, we go. He's ours. I'm team draft your guy, and let's <laughs> let's keep it moving. I'm tired of the reclamation projects. Um, I, I'm I'm tired of giving up draft capital. I'm tired of paying capital to quarterbacks that. Just aren't I don't know. Eventually, you have to draft and develop your own guy. Right. I mean, I, I, there's different ways you can build a team. I'm not saying this is a perfect way to do it, but I think the Panthers have tried the retread too many times. You can't keep going back to the well. I think it's time to draft your guy high, your guy. Um, Matt Corral, we got him last year, but I don't think he was our guy as much as they want to yeah. preach. Um, but I think it's time to get their guy, get a coach that's it's their guy, and keep it moving. So I. Unless we somehow get Sean Payton, which I, I've heard rumors, I hope it doesn't happen. I don't think we go for a vet quarterback, in my opinion. I think I think Tannehill would probably be more of our, like, yeah, probably wheelhouse than a Derek Carr, in my opinion. It's funny because Panthers fans are so sick and tired of the retreads, and then Jets fans are so sick and tired of the draft yeah, I was going to say, you, you <laughs> the opposite of what our mindset is. We're done with drafting. We want a veteran high floor to complement this roster that seems a quarterback away. So how'd you feel about Sam Darnold actually being decent in this back stretch of games and Zach Wilson struggling? I know it's a lot of Panthers fans kind of look back on it as well and just kind of that's the only like saving grace, I guess, is feeling like, oh, the Jets 
they made the bad move, even though hey, they got Brees the Hall with that pick. They got Brees Hall with that pick. I think yeah, I'm about to say we happen. we traded multiple picks and ended up guaranteeing them the fifth year sight unseen. So I never would say we won the trade, but um, I got lucky. No, I, I think the process was always right to make that trade because they had the second pick. They were able to get their own guy. Obviously, they didn't. The pick itself didn't work out, but I think yeah. it made sense to just reset because also Donald's contract was going to be up. So I think it was still yeah. the right trade. But I mean. What did, what do you what did you think of this end of the season? Because obviously he was improved and playing well, but it's only a few games, and now he's going into free agency. Yeah, I'm. In in the way things happen here in Carolina, we can't have nice things. So I'm like, I'm my my philosophy is like hashtag anybody but Donald in 2023. Now those those the stretch of games. I mean, it was some of the best football I've seen from Sam Darnold personally, but there was still a lot of meat left on the bone. You could still see that he was a little skittish in the pocket. The feet were a little bit louder than you would hope. Um, even with a phenomenal offensive line in front of him, I think those were just the years and years of transgressions from what he's done still stuck in his head. Yep. And The gay scars. Um, yeah, I mean, he's still – I mean, he's 25 years old. People keep saying that, but he's got a ton of experience. Um, I'm not really big on Sam – um, but I would probably – I would rather put up with a year of Sam Darnold than us going and getting Sean Payton, to be honest. That's how much I have – some of this disdain I have for Sean Payton. Mm-hmm. But um, I think if, if we get like a Stroud or something like that, if we trade up and get that, I, would have no, I have no problem with bringing in Sam. Right. You can treat the situation kind of how – I like to kind of look at the Pats and the Mac Jones situation where they had them battling in training camp, and if it's close at all, go ahead and give it to the rookie. If the rookie just clearly shows he's not ready – put in the vet, and then ride there for a couple games. And then I honestly expect a Stroud to be able to play eventually in year one. Right. If you get a Richardson or a Levis, then you could play it by air. You may want to go after a car or a Tannehill, something like that. Um, somebody that can have you actually competitive or hopefully competitive yeah. um, while your guy is kind of uh, marinating. But um, Sam, I'm, I'm, everybody on my channel knows I'm not a big fan of Sam. But <laughs> – but some of the things that he did in that in that five game, four or five game stretch, I, you can't really deny it. But we also saw a three game stretch the beginning of the year previously where he was right. good and yeah. he ended up coming back down to earth. So yeah, he's hot and cold. Um, he's up and down. Yeah. That's yeah. There's certain things he just can't shake, and yeah, it's unfortunate. But I just feel like he's he looked confident. I think Ben McAdoo did a great job. I think Ben McAdoo was, was always there to be. Well, he was brought in to be there for Sam. Yeah. And I think the Baker Mayfield thing was just a desperation thing by Matt Rule, and it was square peg round hole. I did the all 22 on Baker Mayfield multiple times and just telling people that it just wasn't a fit. McAdoo is more of a precision guy. He has certain steps. It's, you know, the background he has. I mean, he's going to, he's three step drop, five step drop, whatever, hitch, hitch, whatever, and go. And I think that was something that Sam needed because his feet get a little bit loud and crazy. But if you yeah. give him structure, footwork, and commands and things to do and processes to go through, he can do some things, and he was cooking in the five game stretch. So, yeah, um, I be- I believe that if he went to the right situation, he he may have been good. Because the other thing is, is, he's had so many different offensive systems that he's had to learn. He just hasn't had any continuity. He hasn't had great offensive lines in front of him. I mean, and then you talk about the Panthers drafting somebody. I really do believe in in after what we've watched the Jets go through, in sitting the rookie, letting him sit. Yeah, you know, have the veteran play, let yeah. the rookie develop. Because if you throw him out there to the wolves in front of a bad or behind a bad O line, he develops those scars, and it's it's kind of hard yeah. to, you know, to, to get over those. But Aaron, yeah, you were awesome, man. Really appreciate you taking the time to, to come on the podcast. I know I I plugged your stuff at the beginning, but let our listeners know where they can where they can find you, 
I mean, I think with this series, we're always just trying to find like the smartest football people to talk about these, uh, you know, prospective candidates. And and you're another great uh, smart guy to follow on Twitter. So where, where can the listeners find you? Yeah, on Twitter, you can find me at Dunk On Demand, D-U-N-C On Demand. Uh, if you just search my tweets for Joe Brady, you'll probably <laughs> find some interesting thoughts. And I, I put some clips and stuff up there so often, too, just to give you some evidence of what type of stuff that we did that year. Um, on YouTube, um, UB Sports Talk, at UB Sports Talk. Um, probably got to go back a year or so to find my Joe Brady videos and stuff like that. But um, I got a couple film breakdowns there, too, if you guys are interested there, too. So uh, appreciate you guys having me, man. Appreciate you uh, taking the time. That's awesome. Aaron, thank you so much for coming on. Jets fans, what do you think? Joe Brady, too inexperienced, or should the Jets take a swing and, and try to land a, a home run here? Uh, with with a young offensive coordinator hire. Let us know in the comments below. Tweet us at CYJPod. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Have a great week.